What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Are we through the banking crisis at this point? Or, well, we're not through we with not? bank failures. Warren Buffett's first comments on collapses in the banking sector and where we go from here. On this special Squawk Pod, more from the Berkshire Hathaway CEO on crisis. They haven't made it the same sort of mistakes that they made back in 2008 or 9, but they have mismatched assets and liabilities, and bankers have been tempted to do that forever and, and every now and then, and then it bites them in a big way. On the response of regulators. I do not think I could run the Fed as well as Jay Powell. And on what happens when investors feel fear. Now we've got a system that, that works, but people are still scared when they get scared. Being scared is so contagious. Our Becky Quick with the Oracle of Omaha in a wide-ranging interview. So you look around and you're not worried at this point? Well, at 92, I've got other things to worry about. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. The second in a special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, begins right now. This is part two of a Squawk Pod series with Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO Warren Buffett. His first formal sit-down interview in several years on issues about the economy, investing, and the companies that make up Berkshire's portfolio. This interview aired live on CNBC's Squawk Box on Wednesday, April 12th, with anchors Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Becky Quick, who was on site in Tokyo, Japan, with Warren Buffett. This is the first time that we've gotten the chance to speak with you in a very long time. Um, As as, uh, they say in England, I've I've gone quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, you've gone quiet, but there's been a lot that's happened and a lot that's happened recently in particular. Problems in the banking sector. Your name kept coming up as someone who was in talks with the administration potentially to step in and do something with with some of the regional banks, with some of the bigger banks. There was a lot of confusion around it. But can you tell us what happened? Were you were you talking to the Biden administration about problems with the banks? Uh, I, I never talked to the president. I've never called the president in my life, but I have talked with people that that uh, from time to time that that work around the president. That's, that's been true for administration after administration. And, and I don't talk about what I talk with them about. <laughs> are, are, would it be fair to assume that you've spoken with them recently when these, I would the say- The president? Like, not the president, no, no. people around the president, let's say, people uh, in the administration. I haven't spoken with anybody that recently, but, but I've spoken with people. And, and I've spoken with people around administration, but uh, generally they call me, but not 100% of the time. I mean, I, I would feel free to call a member of the administration. I would never feel free to call the president of the United States. Okay, so let's talk about what's happening in the banking sector right now. Is, is this a banking crisis? Is this financials in turmoil? Is this banking crisis 2.0? What would you call what we've been seeing happen? Well, I would, I would say that the some of the dumb things that banks do periodically, uh, well, has uh, become uncovered uh, during this period. And, and uh, uh, as one of the bankers told me one time, he says, I don't know why we keep looking for new ways to lose money when the old ones are working so well. And, and uh, uh, they made the same mistake, some banks, in this period by, by they haven't made as many mistakes they, may, they expect to make some mistakes in making loans, but they haven't, and particularly if you're getting into credit card loans, I mean, that's just part of the game. But they haven't made it, the same sort of mistakes that they made back in 2008 or 9. But they have uh, mismatched assets and liabilities, and bankers have been tempted to do that forever, and, and every now and then, and then it bites them in a big way. And uh, it, it's just amazing to me that... that uh, Banks could make presentations to financial analysts and everything. And if one bank bought a bond at 100 and another bought it at 96, and they both 
they both put, held a maturity. One bank carries it at 100 and another bank carries it at 96. I mean, it, it is accounting procedures have driven some bankers to do some things that may have helped their current earnings a little bit and, and, and caused the recurring uh, uh, temptation to to get a little bit bigger spread and report a little more on earnings. And uh, it, it ended in a result you could predict. You couldn't predict when it would happen. And then once they start looking at one that does it, then they start looking at others. And, and pretty soon, you know, that uh, everybody is in a position of looking at a number that nobody looked at when it was, <laughs> it was presented to them a year ago, if you read the 10K or anything of the sort. But the banks did not call attention to what they were doing. When it was going on, and I would read, I would read uh, investor contact uh, when they would have meetings with financial analysts or the people who follow banking, and nobody even brought up the point virtually. And believe me, if you know, if we've got a fifty billion dollar loss or something, or something at Berkshire, <laughs> we would expect uh, people to know about it. And, and uh, it's happened before. It's happened this time. It'll happen again someday. Did you see this? You were reading through the reports. You followed all these banking um, earnings that were sure. coming in. So you noticed it. You sure, saw it? Sure, I noticed it. Is that why you saw it sold so many of the banking well, we, stocks? We, 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 sold, we, we, we sold a number of banks. I mean, we, we, had, we had held some of them for 25 years. But I don't like it when, when uh, people get too focused on on the earnings number and and forget what I my view is basic banking principle. I'm not going to get into naming any names or anything like that. But uh, it 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 happened to varying degrees throughout the industry. It wasn't the and the politicians say, well, the big banks did this. And that isn't true. I mean, I I I know who has been holding uh, long-term instruments, and if they. Let's just take more commercial mortgages or something of the sort. Uh, uh, they carry them at at, uh, at at cost basically, and and uh, uh, they can't sell them at that cost. <laughs> and it's important. It's important that banks retain the confidence of the public, and they can lose it, you know, in seconds. And we saw a country that was was uh, not worried about banks. You know, until about Wednesday or Thursday of the week when Silicon Valley fell apart. And then all of a sudden, everybody was worried about it all over the country. And the interesting thing, of course, is that, that, that uh, it will not cost the government a penny. I mean, people think that, you know, that somehow the government's going to get hung up with us. The FDIC is, a, in effect, a very peculiar mutual insurance operation. Uh, uh, that is run by the government, but is financed by the banks. And FDIC had 120 billion or so at the start of the year, and that's all money that banks have paid in, less what the FDIC has had to pay out on losses. And if the FDIC has to pay out 250 billion this time or 300 billion, they just assess the banks more, and they don't do it in a very businesslike manner, manner because the the public has the impression that the FDIC is the United States government and, the, and so on. And of course, uh, they do appoint the people, but, but the costs of the FDIC, including the cost of their employees and everything else, is borne by the banks. So banks have never cost the federal government a dime. Uh, but that, the public doesn't really understand the whole FDIC thing, and the comments of public officials confuse it. And, uh, the issue enormously. And, uh, uh, somebody ought to write. I mean, the FDIC was set up to operate on, I think, January 1st, 1934. You'd think somebody would have gotten through to <laughs> writing what's the essence of this FDIC, which is was a fantastically good uh, development of the New Deal. I mean, 2,000 banks failed in, I don't know, whether it was 1920 or 21. Well, there's only I don't know, something less than 5,000 banks in the United States. And I mean, 
it was a paralyzing thing to have a, a bank failure in this country. And my dad lost his job in 1931. He lost his savings. And uh, it was because a bank failed that he worked in, at uh, downtown in Omaha. And uh, uh, people shouldn't be worried about losing their money and the deposits they have in, in, in an American bank. And today they have no reason to worry. And, but the message has gotten very confused and people don't really understand how it all works. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and politicians can make hay out of it. And all kinds of, uh, all kinds of things, bad, bad things happen when people don't understand some major institution and who actually bears the costs and, and what the responsibilities are. And nobody is going to uh, uh, lose money on, an, on a deposit in the U.S. bank. I don't know about the rest of the world. I, I don't know. I'm not that familiar with it. But that, it's not going to happen. And that message has gotten mixed up. Well, it, look, the message has gotten mixed up because, and Andrew's got a question. We'll get to him in one second. The message has gotten mixed up because the government no longer has the authority to do, to back up all deposits without getting the explicit okay from Congress. That's the, but they'll get the okay. I mean, <laughs> the, the, you know, you can say that, you know, that we're going to hit the deficit ceiling and all that, uh, I mean, the debt ceiling, uh, and, you know, it, and everybody makes hay out of it politically and everything. We're going to change the debt ceiling and, and the unnecessary apprehension, commentary, everything that's caused by the fact that people say, well, the law doesn't allow the, the federal debt to get above X. Well, they're going to change it. And what happened, what happened with, the, with the failure of Silicon Valley and, and, and then uh, the signature thereafter, they... they the, uh, the, understandably, the Federal Reserve says we have this much power on a Sunday. Uh, understandably, the FDIC says we have this much power on a Sunday, which is an accurate statement. And the President of the United States the next day says that your deposits are safe. And he's absolutely correct, but you have to change the law. And I, the President of the United States can also say that the United States is not going to, it's not going to uh, 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 let a debt ceiling mess up the whole world. And, and that's true, too. But it wasn't technically true in the sense that they would have to go to Congress. And then Janet Yellen, uh, quite understandably, said, well, uh, we won't change the rules without coming to the House and Senate and so on. And, and uh, it, the public gets confused when they hear that, they're both essentially right. You know, Secretary Yellen is right, the president is right, but uh, it, it could have been added that the American public is not going to lose, no American depositors is going to lose any money in, in, their, in their bank, whether they got $250,000 or more. But if a change is needed, we'll make it. And besides, the other banks are going to pay the cost of it. <laughs> and, the message is getting a little garbled. Andrew's got a question, too. Andrew? Hey, thanks, Becky. Uh, hey, Warren. Uh, to that end, I think there's the issue of, of individuals who have money at banks, uh, and then there's companies who have payroll at banks, and whether you would advocate for effectively not just this implicit guarantee, but um, an explicit guarantee that covers everything, and what the implications of that are, just uh, from the, for the risk that banks may take as a result of, of knowing that it's guaranteed and also what the cost of uh, effectively you've, you've been you are in the insurance business. If we if we were to insure every deposit across the entire banking system, what that would do to how much capital would even be in the system, if you will, and available for loan. You you basically have a mutual insurance company and they uh, of a very peculiar sort. And the the ability to pay the assessment, I think the assessments are like 10 billion or maybe that was the total revenue of the FDIC. But if they need 30 billion or 50 billion, it won't be the federal government that will put in the money, it will be banks. And, and uh, I don't think that's understood even though 
Well, originally when it started in 1934, they had some different rules, and you didn't even have to belong to the FDIC. So it, it's evolved in a way, it's evolved like Social Security, where people sort of got a notion in their minds of the politicians to sometimes use the, the, the demagogue version of things. And in the end, you know, it's like saying the Social Security Trust is going to run out of money and therefore won't pay people. Well, I will, well, here's the, here's the offer I will make, actually. I, you know, I like to make bets. Charlie doesn't like to make bets, so I won't frame it exactly as a bet. But I will, I will be glad to put a million dollars of my own money in the bank that, or any place else, actually, that anybody takes a differing view takes, and have them put a million dollars in. And at the end of the year from when we do it, if any American depositor has lost money from a bank failure, uh, the, the other fellow gets to name where the $2 million goes to right. what charity. And if they haven't, I get Warren, to name if, it. If, and that's a firm offer, and we'll see who steps up. <laughs> right. If that's the case, are the, are the regional banks yeah. right now, the First Republics and the like, a, a steal from a value proposition? No, they're not going to save the stockholder. I didn't say the saving the stockholder. I didn't say saving the debt of the holding company. You know, people really don't understand it when they look generally at a bank. When it says debt, it's usually the fact that the shareholders own the bank on margin. You know, they borrow, they borrow money at the holding company. And that, that's a different game. But... Uh, well, they should lose money. I mean, they, they, I don't have any problem with people losing money because if they if they do dumb things. I mean, uh, I, I've got a suggestion how to handle moral hazard on that subject, which we can get to in a second. But but the depositors are going to get their money, and they got their money on, on uh, you know, in the case of uh, uh, Silicon Valley on Monday morning. But they were sweating bullets all weekend unnecessarily. If it just if they just understood how the system worked, and you know, it, it uh, you know, it's a failure of all of ours that that message is really not communicated. I don't think it, I don't think one person in a hundred can describe how the FDIC actually operates and where they get their money and who appoints the you know uh, uh, the people that are working there, who pays the salary of the people. It, 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 it's 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 a misunderstood institution. Well, are we? through the banking crisis at this point? Or, well, we're not through we with not? bank failures, but, but we, are, we are through the depositor. The depositors haven't had a crisis. The owners of banks may have lost a hell of a lot of money. The people who bought the debt of the, of the holding company, may, they may lose a lot of money. People can, they can lose a lot of money, uh, but the depositors aren't. And so you don't need to turn a dumb decision by managers into a panicking the whole citizenry of the United States about something they don't need to be panicked about. I mean, it, it is really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like we thinking that, that uh, uh, I just don't know why you do it with people. We set up the FDIC to relieve the worry of people. And initially, it wasn't the same institution that it is now. But you're saying on one hand, okay, no depositor is going to lose money. On the other hand, you're saying we're not through the bank failures. Banks can go bust, but depositors aren't going to be hurt. I mean, it, it, that, banks can go bust. I mean, the Continental Illinois Bank was thought to be impregnable, you know, back many years ago. And, uh, you know, the Franklin National Bank, the Bank of the Commonwealth, they and. Sometimes they go broke because they make too many dumb loans, and sometimes it's because they mismatch maturities. Joe's got a question, too. Joe. I, I want, just wanted Warren to get to, he's, he uh, foreshadowed he's going to talk about how to deal with the moral hazard. If there is moral hazard, I, if the banks can fail, maybe the share, you know, if the shareholders lose and debt holders lose, that's, uh, maybe there is no moral hazard. But it's been posited that you give bank managers uh, or CEOs the notion that all their depositors are going to be protected, then they're going to keep promising higher rates that they can't deliver, and they're going to do all kinds of things because they're not worried about, about their depositors anymore. But you've got an answer for how to deal with that moral so hazard? Absolutely. I mean, they got, they, they've got to have something to lose themselves. I mean, in 2008, all kinds of trouble was called, caused by the banks. But 
no bank executive, the, the CEOs that made those decisions, they all continued to live fine. You know, they may have lost their job, but they, they get their pensions. Uh, uh, so they bore no response. And then the, the bank later would pay billions of dollars a bunch of shareholders money that had nothing to make to do with making those decisions. So I would absolutely uh, suggest, and uh, I had some friends in banking. I may not have any by the time this program is over, but I would suggest that anybody that's CEO, anybody that's CEO of a bank that screws up and costs shareholders a lot of money, that in effect, you know, they get no pension from the bank. They 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 go back to living, you know, like a a person that works on the production line of Ford or something like that. They don't deserve anything special. And, and uh, uh, I would suggest to the directors of the bank that uh, sat there for five years and listened to people come in and give reports and all that sort of thing, that they get back all their director's fees. And they, I mean, they, there's got to be consequences to the people who make the decisions and penalize the shareholders later on by having billions of dollars worth of fines paid to the government. You know, uh, that that doesn't that doesn't deter the bad action the way if if you're the president of the XYZ pump, uh, bank and you screw up enormously uh, uh, you know you still live on like you did before uh, it you've, you've you've taken away any sense of real responsibility with the directors and the answer with the directors isn't to have more risk committee meetings or anything like that the answer to a, I've been on the board of banks, and uh, the answer is to have the board of directors feel, my God, if this guy screws things up, I've got to give back all this money that I've gotten, you know, 300000 a year or whatever it may be, and pre-stock and this kind of stuff. I've got to give it all back for five years. Believe me, that changes behavior of the people that cause the problem. And this system doesn't get rid of of moral hazard because it penalizes different people and make the decision. I want to penalize people who make the decision and have it very clear to them. And uh, uh, that will not be met by great enthusiasm <laughs> from a lot of friends of mine. But that's that's exactly what I believe is, should be done. And banking systems are enormously important. The world doesn't work well without, with, without uh, uh, banking systems. And, and, and I I don't know anybody that that went back to flipping burgers at McDonald's or something, you know, after after they screwed up the system, you know, in a big way in 2008-9. Now they really were they made dumb they they did things in 2008 and, or 7 and 8 that really are uh, qualitatively different and, and really much more reprehensible than than things that people did in this uh period currently, but they, they did a lot of dumb things, and, and some of them sold their stock. And I mean, it, it, there's no penalty attached to bad behavior. And, uh, uh, and it, it does really, really affect the system when people lose confidence in banks. Well, let me ask, you, you again, um, have sold a lot of your bank shares that Berkshire Hathaway holds. Uh, should we read that as an indication that you think Banking is less investable than it used to be. Well, I, no, I, 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 I'd love to own a good bank, but we, we owned a bank in 1969 at, at, at Berkshire, and it was one of the best run. Well, it, I think it was probably the best run bank in the in the country, and and and, and uh, Gene Abegger ran that ran it like I'm talking about. I mean, he 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 was a real banker. I felt like Morris Shapiro and Harry Keefe used to run the two big banking analysts firms on, on Wall Street, and, and, and they were really smart guys, and Morris Shapiro once said, there are more banks than bankers, and uh, uh, you, want, you want people to understand that they are handling other people's money just like you do when you want people running you know, hedge funds or anything else, like they, they'd handle their own money. I mean, that, 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 and, uh, it's regarded as very clever in this country. If, if you set up things so that, you know, it's nice if your investors make money, but you get very rich by assets under management. And in the banking industry, uh, you have not connected responsibility for, for problems uh, to the real punishment 
for that act. And that's when you get responsible. Okay, but the, uh, better, you get a better banking some system. Some of the banks that you've sold include USB, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, PNC. Should we think that they're banks that aren't run well run because you've sold them? Or? No, okay. no, no. But I do think, I do, I, I, I did think that banking could get in a lot of trouble just because of the kind of things that they did, and that that I. I didn't like the banking business as well as I did before. Why'd you keep Bank of America? But I would love to own a bank. If, if Berkshire could have owned 100% of a bank, mm-hmm. we'd love to own it. But we can't do it under the bank holding company. Would you like to be a bank holding company? Well, I, that, that means we can't do all the other things we do. <laughs> so, so we got to take it out of that in 1970. We had just bought a bank in 1969, and we had to get rid of it in 10 years. And, and there's, I don't argue against regulation of banks, believe me. Uh, but... Uh, that particular option has been taken away from Berkshire, and it, I think it's probably a good idea to take it, taking it away from corporate managements generally. Why did you keep Bank of America? Pardon me? Why did you keep Bank of America? Well, we, well, well, a, uh, they invited, I mean, I invited myself in many years earlier, and they made a, a very decent deal for us, and I like Brian Moynihan enormously. Uh, and I just don't want to. I don't want to sell it. But but uh, uh, I did sell banks that we'd owned for twenty five or thirty years. And I and, and if they asked me why I did it, I told them. But uh, uh, and I like the people. I mean, they're, they're, I just think the system isn't set up quite right in terms of connecting punishment to culprits on something that's an important. It's incredibly important that your banking system run well in the country. It just isn't going to work unless you have a banking system that works and you don't want them to create periodic crises unnecessarily. Still to come, Warren Buffett on confidence in the economy, in the Federal Reserve, and in his own balance sheet. There's things I worry about. Sure, I worry, I worry about the nuclear threat. I worry about a pandemic in the future. But I'm, I'm not, I don't worry about, no, I don't, I, I never go to bed worried about Berkshire. Squawk Pod will be right back. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You're listening to Squawk Pod, bringing you the best of CNBC's Squawk Box. I'm producer Katie Kramer. We continue now with Warren Buffett. He joined our Becky Quick for an extended discussion. She was on site with him in Tokyo, Japan, where he has just increased his international investments. Becky was joined remotely by Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And I'll let her take things from here. We are in Japan, in Tokyo, with Warren Buffett, the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. He's been talking about the financial crisis, or I don't know if we'd even call it a financial crisis, but the situation in banking right now, where things stand. Warren, you had said that you you wouldn't necessarily, um, no depositors are going to lose money. Exactly. But the shareholders might, and you could also see bond well, they, holders they losing will money. They will in many yeah. cases, I think. All right, so let's talk about the assets that are out there, though. You've got assets now from Silicon Valley Bank, from Signature Bank, um, that are now the responsibility of the government, who's trying to auction off some of these things. You've got people asking questions about what comes next if this um, sort of pig in the python continues to work its way down, if that's the case. Uh, commercial real estate has been brought up sure. as an issue uh, of a looming problem, particularly since 80% of commercial real estate loans are made from these regional banks where most of the problems have been. Yeah. 
What do you think about that? I think that they, the, the, there will be uh, problems when, and, uh, you know, people had, have, anybody that's got a fixed rate in, locked in for a while, when the fixed rate goes away and they got to reprice it now, it's got a problem. And, and uh, the, the holder of a 30-year uh, Freddie Mac or Freddie Mac, They've got the best deal in the world, I'm, and they should. I, I love the program, but you mean somebody who has their their thirty-year mortgage? Yeah, yeah. It has the mortgage. Yeah, uh, but the reason it's for the very fact that it's very advantageous to the person who has the mortgage means it's a very dumb holding for banks. But I also believe in the system that produces. I think net the country is better off because it. But I don't want to own any thirty-year mortgages myself, and and the idea that. If you've got a 30-year mortgage, uh, you personally, you can call off the deal 10 minutes later, and if, and if the bank's got a bad deal, they're stuck with it for 30 years. Berkshire cannot make the deal with our credit than you can make um, if you qualify for, for, for making a, uh, a Freddie or Fannie Mae. Uh, I think that's a good thing for society. I don't think it's a very good investment for banks, but banks have a good enough business if run right that they can, they can do some things like that, and they, 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 they but I wouldn't, I still wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> and uh, we will see people, well, it gets back to that old story, you know, when, it, uh, when the tide goes out, you learn who's been swim, swimming naked, and, and you know, we, we actually ran into a nudist colony here, I mean, <laughs> in terms of the banks all over do that sort of thing, and they can handle losses. Uh, but to say that because you can hold up maturity, that therefore it's 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 safe. Well, what if the, you know the prime rate went to twenty one and a half percent? You know, in the nineteen eighties, uh, who knows what can happen to what you're paying on your deposits? And people really know now what they can get. They're, you know, the idea that you you've got this this uh, kind of lazy money and people are sitting around with money and zero. Uh, you're telling them every day. Uh, on CNBC, you know, go shop around and get the best rates you can for your money. And uh, so, unlike the physical world, I mean, in the physical world, you know how fast sound will travel. Uh, will travel at the same speed as you know, 20 years ago or 50 years ago, and you know, you know, if an apple falls from a tree, how long it will take, you know, basically. Uh, 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 but in economics, the Equation changes every time because of the experience of the previous time. So, so things that seemed to make the mistakes of 2008 and 9, uh, they affect how people behave subsequently. And 2023 is is a is, is a different world. The speed it isn't like light travels at the same speed or anything like that. And people have a adjusted so that lazy money in 2008 doesn't exist in the same uh, uh, way at all, and, uh, and we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, it's our job at Berkshire, for example, and in all our businesses to not think about, well, you, you take cognizance of what's happened in the past, but you have to worry about things that people haven't seen yet. And, and uh, you know, the people that have run banks the wrong way, that uh, their shareholders are going to lose money, but the depositors aren't going to lose money. And I made that offer, you know, in the previous segment, and, and if anybody's called in with a million dollars, I'm, I'm still good for it. You're saying that you will put up a million dollars against anybody who wants to take the other side of the bet that no depositor in a U.S. bank will lose money. In the next year, in, the next in, a, year. in a year from now, uh, whichever one of us has won, uh, uh, gets to decide where the, what charity the $2 million goes to. So, so charity is going to win, just like on that hedge fund bet I made a, a few years back. But, but I'm, I'm betting on what is certain to happen politically. It isn't the law now, but it'll get changed. I will bet on the fact that the United States will not suffer a ruin the world by messing around and not finally ch changing the debt ceiling. And why 
know, the Congress we elect to do all kinds of things and they're overworked in all kinds of ways. Why well, they spend a lot of time fiddling around on that and make hay out of it on one side or the other? It depends who's in, who's in charge. I mean, it's it's just silly. And uh, uh, I'd rather have the government, you know, actually focus on things like uh, they did back in the New Deal, which my dad hated, but which Social Security came out of and the FDIC came out of. These things really improved uh, the situation of the world, and, and, and they, proved, they improved America. And uh, uh, I've got the advantage of hindsight, and I've, I've believed in it. And, and uh, really, you know, since I was 11 years old, I, if, I just said bet on America and figure out a way to be in the better businesses. But even if you're in the average business, you know, it, it's just the way we still work despite all our shortcomings. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 but we can work better. All right, back to commercial real estate. We have had lots of investors in commercial real estate who have come in and said that this is going to be a crisis point, that the government is going to have to step in, um, that something should be done because there are so many commercial real estate loans that are coming due between now and 2025 and that they won't be able to get credit from the banks in the same way to renew or to, once those maturities come due, to refinance? Well, let's say they lose $100 billion in the banking system. Most of the banks can take that loss, their share of that loss, and a few of them, because they did other things, you know, their shareholders will end up losing the money, but their depositors won't lose money. But if you lend money to somebody and... Uh, it comes due and they can't pay. You know, the, the old story about the banker, I never, I never made a bad loan. Of course, some of them turned bad after I made them. I mean, and that's exactly what happens in, you know, whether it's in commercial real estate. And if people, if money rates are 2% or we were lending money out of four basis points at Berkshire to the, to the federal government, uh, not much more than a year ago, a year and a half ago or something like that. And if those rates change, let the person who bet that they wouldn't change lose money. I mean, that, that, that's you know, if you make mistakes in business, there's people, plenty of people make mistakes. You pay for them. If you've got a big profitable business on top of it, you know, which a good many banks do, you take your losses and you, you keep going on. I mean, banks can take a lot of loan losses, but they can't take something that wipes out their capital and, 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 and expect the world to ignore that fact. Meaning that you don't think anything needs to be done on the commercial real estate front. Well, that I think that the people that, the people who lend too much money should take loss. And, they, and they're getting properties handled, handed back to them now. I mean, uh, you know, within the last month or six weeks. I the mean, banks are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they've got some office buildings in Los Angeles and, and uh, you know, Blackstone walked away from something. I mean... And, and if you get a non-recourse, you know, every, every, everybody goes in the real estate business is told the first rule, the second rule, the third rule is never sign your name to anything. And so you have non-recourse mortgages and they're going to walk away and the bank's going to get stuck with losses and maybe they'll hold the property a long time and it'll come back. And they, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that if you got capital strength, you may, you may decide, well, I'll just hold it. And, and, but that money is sterile for for quite a while, and that's part of banking. I mean, you expect to lose some money in banking. It's not a sure thing on every loan, and you build that into your calculations, and then you have capital that protects your depositors from from it uh, eating into their money, and if it does eat into their money, then the FDIC, which is in effect really a mutual insurance company of a very peculiar sort, uh, essentially spreads the losses among the continuing banks by higher FDIC assessments in the future. We've had some people in commercial real estate who say, who make the point that it's not just commercial real estate, but other places where the economy is turning over, where inflation is coming down, that the Fed is doing too much. What do you think of the job the Fed is doing right now? I, I, I do not think I could run the Fed as well as Jay Powell's run. I think Jay Powell's been a terrific, uh, and part of the job, well, look at Paul Volcker back in the 1980s. I mean, People were sending him, you know, I mean, he was, he needed Secret Service protection and everything else. But, uh, uh, but in the end, he felt his responsibility was to do the right thing at the Fed, and he didn't give a damn about what anybody wrote about him or anything else. And, and I think that 
He's one of my heroes, and I think he's one of Jay Powell's heroes, and I think Jay Powell is, did the same thing, actually, in March of, of uh, 2020 when we went into the pandemic, I think, at the annual meeting that year. I said, you know, that he was a hero, and he is a hero, and you have to, you have to act, and you have to act on insufficient information, and you've got, a, you've got an ultimate responsibility to the American public. And it doesn't mean you can stop recessions. It doesn't mean that you can turn bad loans into good loans or anything else. But it, it does mean that you've got to keep the system working. And the system came close to stopping. And if you read a book called Trillion Dollar Triage, you can, you can get it on a day-by-day -day account. And people don't know how close it was. And, and Jay... Powell did not call for studies or position papers and, you know, lengthy debate and everything. You just don't do it. You act. And that's what Paul Booker did. And, and I thank heavens, you know, Jay Powell was there. I mean, you could have gotten a very different result in March of, of uh, 2020 after the pandemic broke out. Did the Fed keep rates low for too long after I, that? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we won't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know what they precisely should do. Nobody does. And they follow conventional wisdom and all of that. And sometimes, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But, but since 1942, you know, we've made all kinds of mistakes in this country. And we'll continue to make them. But somehow the system works pretty damn well. I'd rather own stocks than bonds over, over many years. I'd rather own part of America than try to squirrel my money away somehow. <laughs> Other place, I thought, you know, maybe in Switzerland, Credit Suisse or something like that. It's it just, uh, people are, uh, they don't really get any wiser about this sort of thing. People, somebody else fire, they're going to run for the, the door. I mean, and, and uh, it, it, it's, it's built into, fear is so easy to arouse in people. And you talk about fear about their money. And they don't really understand the system necessarily or anything of the sort. And they can actually, by their own actions, then create what they were afraid of. It, 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 it's, a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And it, it actually, yeah, my dad hated Franklin <laughs> D. Roosevelt. But, but, so I grew up, first 10 years of my life, I couldn't get dessert dinner unless I said something nasty about Roosevelt or something. But over the years, you know, when, Roosevelt said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He was 100% right. When he closed the banks and said, I'll open, I'll open the good ones a week from then, he didn't, really, he didn't know anything about which bank was good or bad or anything like that. But people just needed that, get a, 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 an appropriate confidence. And now they've really got an appropriate confidence because we didn't have an FDIC and we didn't have an FDIC that was required for every bank. A lot of banks fought the idea. Uh, and now... We've got a system that, that works, but people are still scared when they get scared. And it, it's, being scared is so contagious. You can't imagine what it was like that weekend after Silicon Valley. I mean, you know, the guy that drives me around because I can't see that well. And, you know, all he was talking was banking, you know, and, and, and he would, you know, what should he do? And it, it, it's uh, unnecessary fear is, is a terrible thing to give people, I mean, and, and, and Roosevelt and the New Deal really wanted to get rid of that. And uh, it, here we are X years later, and we've got a mechanism that's so much better than we had going in, but people really don't quite understand it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it takes the President of the United States to just go on and deliver Roosevelt's message and make it more clear to people what we really do have and what they need to be worried about and what they don't need to be worried about. But of course, if you're in, you're trying to win an election next time, you tell people, you know, that if you're out of office or you're out of control, you, know, you tell them how terrible the other guy is for getting them into, into this problem. And that's going to always live with us. So you look around and you're not worried at this point? Well, at 92, I've got other things to worry about. <laughs> no, I, I am, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't worry about our ability. There's things I worry about. Sure, I worry, I worry about the nuclear threat. I worry about 
a pandemic in the future, all kinds of things. But I, I don't worry about them because I can't do anything about them. But I, I, I actually, that's what I originally thought my money could be best used for. But I don't know any answers now after 40 or 50 years of thinking that way. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't worry about, no, I don't, I, I never go to bed worried about Berkshire uh, and how well handled thing. If, if I'm worried about Berkshire, I should get, I should figure out something different to do about what Berkshire is doing. But Berkshire is my responsibility. And, and, and I, I think I was very, very, very lucky uh, that Berkshire happened to be in America, and I happen to be an American. I was born in 1930, and I've, I've been in a golden age ever since I was born. The, the GDP per capita is up like sixfold or sevenfold in one person's lifetime. There's never been anything like that in the history of mankind. And so, you know, we love to complain about wherever we are, but, but uh, you know, most people don't work on Saturdays and don't work on Sundays. and and. When I was a kid, everybody worked on Saturdays. And, and, uh, I mean, it's, the world has changed so much for the better in terms of, you know, how, how well off people are compared to any other time in history. If I'd been born 150 years ago and I went to the dentist, I mean, you know, they'd pour whiskey down me and all kinds of, there's just all kinds of improvements. And, but it's man's nature to be dissatisfied. And, and politics does stir that up. And, and you've got to say, if you're out of power, that, that the other guy is screwing up and you could do better. And that's just built into the system. But, but that was the case when I was a kid, and it's the case today. <laughs> Joe's got a question. Joe? Yeah, I, I, uh, I love his, sort of the, his oblique references to, to his dad. I like that uh, one. I think it sounds like a real solid Nebraskan, though. I think I would have, uh, I don't know, I would like to, <laughs> would like to have had a couple of domestic beers with, with your dad. Uh, I think what, what I was trying to figure out, Warren, is, is in, in your long life uh, where you've seen a lot of different business cycles and you've seen hyperinflation and you've seen, you know, secular disinflation last forever. What do you think happened uh, this time to get to 40 year highs? It, it's obviously pandemic related and supply chain related. But do you ascribe anything to, to, uh, to the Fed enabling too much um, fiscal spending, profligate spending by, by uh, the federal or by the government in general? It, do you think that added to it, the, the increase well, in the money supply? Or what, what, where did it come from? Why did we, uh, what engendered it this time around? And, and how bad is it? How long lasting? It's fun sending money out to people if you... If, 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 you, if you want to stay in office and you want their vote, and that's always been a problem, a problem of, 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 uh, of our political system and, and, and around the world. And, and some companies just, and some countries have just, you know, printed it where they have billions and billions of this currency or that. that uh, and inflation is a, a constant threat to a country that, that uh, but... Uh, uh, so far, the United States has done pretty well at that. Now, you know, it's still the case that the, the price level is probably 15 times uh, what it was when I was a kid. And so, uh, but the interesting thing is, you know, the price of the Coca-Cola is maybe twice or something like that. Main cost is the container. Uh, and and uh, the price of the... Uh, uh, New York Times has gone up 40 for one or 50 for one. I mean, it's a very uneven thing. And commodities, base commodities tend to move less. But oil was $3 a barrel when I was a, uh, back when I was managing money at first. And there had been 10 cents a barrel in the East Texas situation in 1931. You know, now it's, it's, it's $80 a barrel. And I mean, I said in the annual report that Berkshire can offer some protection against inflation, but the effect of inflation can be can be wild. Some people, if you owe a lot of money, all of a sudden you don't owe anything. You can earn it back in five minutes. And on the other hand, there's there's just all kinds of things. But it's not a good thing for society. And and I think that the United States has generally done a, done a pretty good job of of keeping inflation from getting out of control. And I think. When Paul Volcker came in, that, that was a, a seminal moment uh, in 
in U.S. history uh, because it was close. I mean, cash is trash and, and prime rates of 21.5% and paying, paying interest of $200 an acre on farmland in Nebraska when the crops you could produce would only produce $80 an acre and it caused banks to go broke. And I bought, a, I bought some farmland from the from, uh, I think, probably the FDIC, I don't know, somebody or other, that taken it over. And it was just crazy. The country went crazy because they were afraid of cash. And they, they just piled into things. And Volcker, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't come along. And, uh, and the, it's popular to send money out if you're in politics. It's, it's, it, you know, if you tell every one of your constituents that they just won the lottery, you know, and here's, here's $5,000 or $15,000. Something's going to happen. You're not going to have more goods and services produced immediately that can sop up that money. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's fiscal policy in that case. And we are spending a lot more than our government is spending a lot more than it's taking in. And that's a lot of fun if you want to stay in office, but it isn't necessarily the best thing to do. Uh, for your kids. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. And that's part two of our special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, the Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO's first substantive interview in several years, and it's with our Becky Quick. We are rolling out the complete interview for listeners right here in the Squawk Pod feed. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening now, and you won't miss a moment. Coming up in part three, did Warren Buffett ever consider running for Congress? If I was in a super, super, super safe district, maybe I would vote my conscience in, in Congress, but who knows? how I'd behave unless I was there. But I, my dad was in Congress, and I got to do how it behaved then, and I don't think its behavior has improved, you know, since <laughs> 1942. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in on television weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen to Squawk Pod, and tell us what you think. Rate or review this podcast, or you can send us a tweet. Our handle on Twitter is at SquawkCNBC. We love to hear from you. And stay tuned. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.